and welcome to episode 94 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? So weird not to say 30 Days of Terror there, by the way. It is actually quite strange, isn't it? It is. And obviously that doesn't make sense for you guys because you're midway through this when you're li- midway through 30 Days of Terror when you're listening to this, but that's pretty much all we've said to each other for the last two weeks. Yeah, literally. <laughs> that's not an exaggeration. So to kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Amy Barth. Jessica Black. Anna Stetic, Annie Thorpe, Christina May, Jasmine Monty, Zara, Jordan, Gracie Saria Rodriguez, Andrew Zolia, Katie Castleman, Erica Thompson, Josie Oriana, Jennifer Leary, April and Joseph, Danielle Niemi, Brenda Ayala, Ella Masters, Odessa Piro, Lynn Smith, Kelly Visma, Miriam Sh, Nicole Lanakin. I'm not sure that's how you say that, really. Uh, Cam James. Storm in a teacup. Kristen Stanbury. And Sarah Bell. Thank you so much for being our Patreon pledgers. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. And we also have a key worker shout out today, and we haven't done one of these in a while. Today's key worker shout out is to Ruth Evans, who is a home healthcare worker working with elderly people. And that comes from Chelsea. And we just want to say a massive thank you from us to you for all the work that you've done during this period and i have an apology this week too so my apology goes to uh, rachel robinson who has been listening i mean pretty much since the beginning and she messaged me and was like oh it's my 30th birthday and i'm away with my partner and we're having a great time and you know i'd love if you could give me a shout out on the 30 days of terror episode and we had already recorded it so rachel Robinson, I hope your 30th birthday was amazing and I'm really sorry. Happy birthday to you. I know it's late, but better late than never. And we also have a promo this week. This is exciting, all these things. I know, it feels like uh, we've got like a, a, a huge swathe of housekeeping to do today. <laughs> so our promo this week is Wide Atlantic Weird. It is an Irish podcast about why people believe weird things. A critical look at cryptids, UFOs and conspiracies. Enter the cabin in the woods with Kean and his guests, but have a beer handy. This is a gorgeous podcast if you are interested in the paranormal, but want to cast a scientific and sceptical eye over it. And it's incredibly soothing to listen to and also incredibly well researched. Like the research is out of this world for this podcast so i'm going to play a promo now if you like what you hear make sure that you like and subscribe hi folks kian here from the cabin in the woods located somewhere in the wilds of west cork we bring you the wide atlantic weird podcast it's an irish podcast about why people believe weird things each episode i open a book from my library of the strange here at the cabin and explore a real life story of hauntings monsters, UFOs, and conspiracies. I research all stories using first-hand accounts whenever possible to take a critical look at whatever the truth may be. If you'd like to join me at the cabin for a story, make sure you have a beverage at hand and search for White Atlantic Weird wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to your visit. why i said like and subscribe like it was a youtube channel it's not a youtube channel go I mean, and listen and subscribe is what i meant i mean it's, there's no harm in liking it if you like something yeah you, you just you just like it you like it. you enjoy it yeah. 
And finally, our film review this week. Our film review is Splice. Splice was released in 2009. It has 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb and 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. I just want to let everyone know that Dan is current. Dan just shook his head at me when I said our film review this week. Would you like a synopsis to remind you of what happened? Do you know what? I would like a synopsis because I'd like to know how they explain this. Two scientists continue to carry out a controversial experiment involving hybrids despite being asked to discontinue it. They eventually splice the human DNA and end up creating a dangerous creature. I, to begin, would like to apologise because I have seen this film years and years ago and it was not remotely the film that I remembered. So I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) So when I was watching this film, I, I kind of thought, wow, there's a lot of Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park going on here in a very abridged they spent so long thinking about if they could they never thought about if they should and that goes for the experiment in this film and some might say the film itself but over to you what did you think of this film i'm still a little bit confused as to why he made me watch it it's not a bad film at all in that the concept of it is probably something that would make a good film and actually had they done this film without two certain scenes, it would have been okay. I think we're going to have to spoiler alert this because there's no other way to talk yeah, about we it. we need to. So if you really want to watch this film and don't want to know what happens, skip forward maybe five minutes and then watch it and then listen to what we have to say. Just because... You can put your penis into something doesn't mean you should. I, th- that that is that is what this film needs. Somebody to go rein in the penis. There is no need. I think, but I think this kind of stuff goes on in the scientific community. Not, <laughs> I'm sorry, I needed to. I need to clarify. Not putting your penis in things. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I meant these kind of experiments are probably happening. Do you know what I mean? Because actually, we're always trying to solve stuff and. As we know from Big Pharma, if there's money in it, ethics don't count. So this kind of experimentation is probably going on. I did not mean, and I really want to reiterate that, that within the scientific community, they're going around putting penises in things. That they shouldn't be. Yeah, that's not what I meant. It's a really strange film because the concept, I mean, it's Frankenstein. That's what it is. It's Frankenstein in a modern world, except don't put your penis in the monster essentially Frankenstein don't have sex with the monster that's it that, I mean I, I don't really know what else to say like Adrian Brody is an actor that I had great respect for had until I rewatched this film what did I think I was watching whenever I watched it maybe 10 I years ago I don't, I don't know to be honest with you because my initial thoughts were when when the film started was what the hell are you making me watch it wasn't a bad film by any any means. Like the acting was actually pretty good. I liked the concept. It was interesting seeing the development of the monster to a point. I didn't need that final step. Maybe I'm just a massive prude. Maybe having sex with something you created is not that bad. Don't know. Considering they treat the monster like their daughter. <laughs> I think it's pretty bad okay, that fine. he has sex yeah, with her. That's good. With so we're on the same page there. So it's not just me being prudish. Um, no, it's not at all. And... 
like I have to say as well on a very on a, like I know we're taking the pace but I really feel like there is a, a kind of a gratuitous rape scene later and it just goes on for I mean the scene in itself is inappropriate but it goes on for an inappropriately long time too like I got it you know what I mean it didn't need to, I, 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 got, I understood what was happening it didn't need to go on for as long as it did I just uh, didn't see the point of it no there was no point in it because it doesn't it didn't accelerate the story in creating this monster that changes sex through having sex. <laughs> I mean, that sounds crazy, but that is essentially that is essentially the thing they create. So when they create these these bug worm penis things, they are two creatures that are opposite sex. They have sex with each other, and then the female turns into a male and then kills the other male. So then we see that repeated with this humanoid thing that they've created. I don't know what the value of that part of the storyline was. I, I actually think the only reason they did it was to include that really gratuitous rape scene. Because it didn't. And, yeah. and to have that pregnancy situation going. It's just a really strange film. And it is. It's, it is absolutely Dr. Malcolm. Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So stop. Mm. But and also the thing is, I guess... There's there's kind of an underlining underlining underlying storyline with the the woman in that she wants something she can control because she didn't have a great relationship with her mother. There were other ways of doing it other than having this sex in it that you just didn't need. Yes. And also, there's loads of loose ends in this film, so they obviously thought it was good enough for a sequel because we've got a pregnant woman carrying the spawn of the creature, whatever it was. Yeah, creature. But we've also got the creature out in the wild. So they could have gone two ways with this. They could have gone down, back down the scientific route or they could have gone, this is the origin story for the Jersey Devil or something like that. Do you know what And I mean? the thing is as well, like generally in a film, you have somebody who's redeemable, right? You have some character who you think, yes, I can connect with you. All of the people in this film are bastards. I disagree. Who? Adrian, Bro- Adrian Brody's brother is the redeemable character in this film because he says from the start, who has nope. screen time for about five minutes. Yep, but there is a redeemable character. And, and then actually, dies. Actually, the creature. Because that's just, like, okay. we didn't need to see the sex, but it's natural. It's it's what they've created, so it's the instincts of the creature. Yeah, granted, <laughs> but the human characters, yeah, no. the fully human characters, <laughs> no. there's no redeemable features in any of them. And like you said, there, you know, I understand that they were trying to get in this narrative that she wanted something she could control because of her poor relationship with her mum but it's so badly explored they've tried to be they've they've almost gone too subtle with that storyline because you just see she goes back to her old house and you see like a mattress on the floor and you think oh she's had a bad relationship with her mum and that's it that's it (laughs) and then it's back to creating and then she's pure fucking evil but they could they could have done a really good thing like and i'm gonna stop in a minute but they could have done a really good thing with this if they explored that that controlling relationship more if they control explored the ethics of creating a monster no, that's wrong creating a genetic hybrid if they'd gone down that route it actually probably would have been a redeemable story yeah. i don't believe you need to have necessarily have redeemable characters at all i don't think that's necessary for a film um i just feel that the reason they're not redeemable is this unnecessary part of the film yeah and it's essentially you're talking about incest yeah bestiality and rape and those those three things in one film that's i mean that's a lot to try and to try and force into a film you know it was just unnecessary those three 
factors did not need to be included in that film and it still would have been a good film. I, it was just, I really think it was there for shock value. I think it was there to raise some eyebrows and create this edgy film. But it just is really uncomfortable to watch. The yeah. first kind of hour is fine. Mm. But after that, it gets really uncomfortable. Makes me wonder about the scriptwriter, actually. <laughs> I Yeah, I would be asking questions. So what, uh, what do you give this film out of five? I think without the sex, it's probably a solid three. Because I, I do like, I genuinely thought the film was okay. Like it just didn't need that. It just didn't need that in it at the end. I thought if they'd done some kind of thing where she went against her captors and was dangerous and maybe it got a bit gory, fine. It just, with that in it, it's, it's a zero. There's no there's no value to it. I have to say I agree. Because I, I, I'm fully on board with you. I think this could have been a really good I modern... Wouldn't it would have never been really good. <laughs> no, but a good modern retelling of the Frankenstein yeah. story. You know, you create this monster, you try and control it, you can't control it because humans you know what is the ethics of that situation Mm -hmm. and the the, i think the whole big pharma thing was incredible about like how big pharma they just want to make money out of it and actually and how that works that's interesting before it got incestuous the change in dynamics between the two parents and the relationship with the hybrid thing that they created uh dren was actually quite interesting it was interesting to see how it flipped from being and the reason why it flipped was wrong but these it, it was seeing how actually when it was tiny. It saw the mother as the protector, but then it switched to the father because the mother was being really controlling. They could have they could have done something with it. They yeah. just chose the wrong reasons to do it. They just chose incest, bestiality, so fat zero, and rape. That's what they chose instead. Not a pathway I would have gone down. I have to say. Which brings us to our story this week. I dread to think what this is. So look, I'm going to be really frank. Okay. okay? When I decided that we were going to watch Splice, I had an episode idea in my head. And then the podcast Dixieland of the Proletariat. Or Dixie Pro. <laughs> messaged me and said, holy shit, have you seen this? And they sent me this story. So thanks, guys. You are responsible for this episode. And I'd just like to point out, because I have no access to the Real Life Ghost Stories Instagram account, I have not read this story, so I have no idea what they're talking about. So our story today... Comes all the way from Glasgow. It's a long way. Homeland of Mr. David Keane. Are you ready? Yes. Victorian London was haunted by the agile devil Spring-Heeled Jack. He stalked the streets and terrorised women in particular. Reports of his appearance were outlandish. In one, he wore some sort of snakeskin suit. In others, he wore a cape. In others, he wore bright blue shoes but he consistently had the ability to breathe blue flames that sent his victims into a seizure. He had metal claws that could slash his victims, and he had an ability to jump supernaturally high. Eventually, the figure painted in people's minds was some sort of foppish, well-dressed, fire-breathing menace who could jump up onto the roof of your house in a heartbeat. It all seems a bit ridiculous now. But Spring-Heeled Jack caused genuine fear and panic through the streets of London. So much so that the phenomenon was publicly addressed by the Mayor of London and groups of men patrolled the streets to protect against the strange attacks. Sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack moved further north to Liverpool and then to Scotland and finally fizzled out altogether. It's a really fascinating story and one that has survived the test of time. 
But what if an entity like Spring-Heeled Jack were to appear in our modern world? How would we cope with it? And really, would we believe it? In 1976, in the Cross Hill area of Glasgow City, a call came into the police. Two young girls had been making their way home from a party. The moon was unusually bright and the streets were lit up as they click-clacked in their high heels through the deserted streets. They linked arms and giggled helplessly as they recounted the highlights of the party. Suddenly, almost in unison, they were both overcome with a sick, hot, prickly feeling of dread, and looking up they realised that they were being watched. Ahead of them, standing under a streetlight, was a man, still, and watching them. In the bright moonlight, the girls were able to make him out perfectly. He was tall and abnormally spindly, with long arms stretched out either side of him. His skin was almost snow white and his head was completely bald. He seemed to be in his fifties, was wearing a black leotard type outfit with a plunging neckline. Now look, the city of Glasgow, as with any other city, is no stranger to odd characters stalking the streets at night. But this was different. The man began to move when he saw the girls were watching him. His long spindly limbs began to jerk as though he was a puppet on a string, performing a macabre dance on a dimly lit stage. The girls watched in horror as the man's limbs continued to jerk and twitch as though being controlled by someone else. And then his face began to change. He began gurning and his face contorted into something almost inhuman. While he danced and his face contorted, he began to snort and grunt like a wild animal. The girls watched, frozen in fear, until he suddenly began to sprint towards them and they took off screaming. They turned, and in a split second the man disappeared into thin air. Shaken to their very core, the girls called the police to report what they had seen. And to their surprise, they were not the only ones to have seen him. This night was the beginning of three years of terror at the hands of the gurning man. A few nights later, a woman living 100 metres from the original sighting awoke suddenly in the night. She had been woken up by the snoring of her husband and had turned over to wake him up in order to try and get back to sleep. To be honest, she was really annoyed. But when she looked at her husband, he was sleeping peacefully and completely silent. But yet, the snoring continued. The snorting sound was not coming from him. She realised it was coming from the end of her bed. She slowly raised her head, and there, at the foot of the bed, was a man. He was tall and bald, with snow-white skin, and his face was frozen into a huge grin. While he was smiling, he was snorting like an animal, 
completely still, still with that huge smile contorting his entire face. In a strange pantomime style, he slowly brought his hands to his chest and began to rub up and down. And every so often, he would beat his chest with his hands. The woman screamed and woke her husband and her husband caught a glimpse of the man and jumped out of bed to turn the light on. The man's smile broke as he let out an animalistic screech and disappeared into thin air. In the time it took for the husband to jump out of bed and turn the lights on, the gurning man had disappeared. In the ensuing police investigation, there were no signs of forced entry anywhere in the house. The doors and windows were closed and locked, and there seemed to be no conceivable way that this man could have entered and exited the house at the speed he did without being detected. The police were stumped, and the reports continued to roll in. At around the same time, a woman was putting her empty milk bottles out for collection late in the evening. She bustled out her doorway and bent down to pop the bottles onto the doorstep. As she leaned down, she was overcome with a hot, prickly wave of fear. She slowly looked up and saw that a man was jogging down the street. Except, when she realised what she was seeing, her blood turned cold. The man was not jogging down the street. He was jogging on the spot, in the middle of the street, in some sort of over-exaggerated, sped-up gait. He was not facing her, but facing down the street so that she could only see his side profile. He was bald and spindly, and his limbs were accentuated in the continual sprint to nowhere. Even in side profile, the woman could see that the man had a huge smile frozen onto his face and that he was grunting and snorting like an animal. As she stared, in horror, the man suddenly snapped his head towards her, still running on the spot, and their eyes met. His face was completely contorted out of shape. His entire face was almost completely overcome by the sheer size of his smile. And just like that, in front of the woman's eyes... He disappeared into thin air. Over the course of those three years, there were 17 official police reports that matched the description of the Gurning Man. 11 of those sightings took place outdoors, and 6 of them took place within the victim's own homes, and with no evidence of a break-in. In all reports, the victim reported a sick feeling of fear and dread, and in all instances, the victims reported that the man disappeared either instantaneously or at an unnatural speed. But after 1979, that was it. The gurning man seemed to disappear and fade into obscurity. Much like Springheeled Jack, the gurning man became something of a folk legend rather than a real paranormal talking point. That was until he returned in 2017. In 2012, the website British Paranormal wrote a piece about the Gurning Man. 
and they had received a constant trickle of emails since, expressing fear and confusion at the potential existence of this strange creature. But then an email came in claiming to have seen him. In 2017, a woman contacted the British paranormal with a story. She claimed to have been walking home at night time, through some residential streets. Ahead of her was a parked car, and a van, parked trunk to trunk. As she passed, she heard a noise. An animalistic snorting and grunting. She turned and was mere feet away from a man. He was long and spindly, deathly white, bald and with a face completely contorted into a painful smile. When they locked eyes, his long limbs began to twitch and flail uncontrollably and she ran petrified into the night. Initially, when British Paranormal received this email, they dismissed it as a hoax and didn't respond or report on it. Until another email pinged into their inbox. This time, a group of young girls claimed to have been drinking in the early evening in Queen's Park in Glasgow. Like all the other victims, they too became aware of a grunting and snorting sound and looked up to see the gurning man contorted and flailing. They were so panicked by his behaviour that the girls contacted the police. So who, or what, is the gurning man? That's not rhetorical. Uh, sorry, yeah, I didn't realise re- <laughs> I was just thinking about this man in leotards. I do have some theories for you if you okay. want to do it via theories. I just want to say, before you go into theories, that this is the kind of story that I live for. Just because it's that got it's got urban legend written all over it, except there's 17 official police reports from the 70s. Oh, this is where you go. Actually... That number's made up and there were no police reports. It's just a fabricated number because that's what you always do when I get excited about a story. We're going to do some theories. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> so theory number one. He's just a man with mental health issues or a drug problem. I would say the sort of logical part of me would say that that's potentially the truth because of all the sightings being the same era, yeah. same time period. The only thing that sticks out to me, and these are two things which I'm not going to explore too much because I kind of want to hear what the rest of your theories are, but number one is the return. Might be very old at this point. Yes. But there's also questions about that, about the return. The other thing is the there's no, the, the police, when they showed up to the lady who saw him in the house, there were no signs of breaking and entering. If it was an actual person, as good a burglar as they might be. <laughs> Or as fast. Or as fast as, as they, they might, might be, be. There still would have been some evidence of someone being in there that weren't supposed to be in there. Particularly if the house was locked. Number two. He is just a man with mental health issues or a drug problem. But shocks the witnesses so much that they misremember details. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's not a second theory more that it's just building on the first one. <laughs> Don't you be judgy about my theories. <laughs> yes, that would work. I mean, we're when we're really shocked and scared, I think there's scientific proof that actually we don't remember as much detail as we think we do. I genuinely don't know, but I can imagine that would be true in some cases that you get such a fright that you 
I think forget things or misremember things. I'm going to segue ever so slightly just to prove my point on this. Go so for it. The law, the old law teacher, the old law teacher makes it sound like some kind of ancient, yeah, wise man. <laughs> the law teacher where I used to work, who is no longer there, and obviously neither am I because I used to work there. He used to do an experiment with his law group where he used to get one of the tutors to go into the class and essentially have a spat with the law te- with him about something. So he'd give us details and then one of us would go in and we'd have... You know, like, often when you're teachers, when you're in that heated environment and you've fallen out or so, another tutor's done something wrong, occasionally you'll go in and you'll say something and you might, you know, disagree with them in front of their class just because the heat at the moment you shouldn't do but it does happen so he used to stage that something happening between two tutors and then ask his class about the details oh that's interesting but he'd do it on a one-to-one basis so he'd pull them aside and he'd ask them one-to-one what they thought they saw and the discrepancy between the details was phenomenal like because it because it was something they weren't expecting and they were shocked by the way that the two tutors interacted with each other because normally we are professional, right? Yeah. The just the complete discrepancy between what they thought they'd heard and what had actually happened was bizarre. And obviously, he'd reveal later on exactly like that's the whole such an thing interesting way to do it. Mm. The discrepancy between the color of the shirt I was wearing when I did it was insane. And I've got a very I had a very monotone collection of work shirts. Okay. <laughs> so there was that was a detail that they should have if they'd have actually thought about what I normally wear they would have been over. But I had that I had a wide range of shirts. I had a one of them said I was wearing a purple shirt. I don't even own a purple shirt. That's incredible, isn't it? So it's just like complete discrepancy of it and that obviously it was to prove the point of the the validity of witnesses and stuff like that and like how you had to make sure that you, you had corresponding evidence and things checked out and stuff like that so it was it was a valuable lesson but it was just that shock factor of seeing something that doesn't normally happen in the classroom yeah. just completely through everybody's and it's interesting as well so all of these sightings they, they all happened to women and they all happened mm. in the early hours of the morning yeah which would suggest there's actually a a real perp rather than potentially being, because it's that's I actually underlined in and I, I and I realized with this statement that I am even more morphing into the character from Friday Night Dinners but I underlined females <laughs> putting all that aside let's pretend this is a supernatural being I'm right not pretending I think it is supernatural I'm just saying theory number three this creature is a ghost or a demon the contortion fits with lots of possession stories so that's not me saying that, that I necessarily agree with that because we've obviously discussed possession on numerous times on this thing. But it fits with that narrative, does it not? I don't think this is something supernatural. As in, like, I don't think like it's a ghost or a demon. Okay. I, can't, I don't want to say this because I want to see what you're over. So no, I don't. I've got, I've got another theory about what I think it is. Because I think what we think about ghosts now is like residual energy or an active haunting, but we don't really get ghosts that are such a commanding physical presence and this man had people see him for a sustained period of time it wasn't like a i caught a glimpse of him and this is what i'm going to say that he looks like people watched him for a sustained period of time number four he is the product of the internet creepy pasta age i will be so disappointed if the historical lore to this is made up from creepy pasta so if, if nothing actually happened in 1979 and British Paranormal made this whole the whole thing up, I feel like the return probably is 
because I feel feel like if people are reading it, it sort of fits in with, oh yeah, I saw something like that. Or, and they misremember details because it fits with something. And I feel like British Paranormal talking about it probably brought it back into the scope. If they've made up the whole thing, I'm probably quitting the podcast. Just letting you know. So I'm going to be really honest. I think, personally, and we've got two more theories to go after this, okay. but I think this is most likely a creepypasta that has like Slenderman kind of somehow wormed its way into people thinking it's real. So when I was researching this, I Dixie Prohl sent me the Bedtime Stories YouTube channel video and I didn't watch it until after I had finished researching because I was like, oh, I don't want to essentially steal their story. So I wrote my own story and then watched their video and their version is incredible. I would highly recommend I've left the link in the description of this episode. And I looked up like numerous different websites all of which quoted each other mm. which is dodgy to begin with and then there was an eps- uh, a website with and like i said all of the links are in the description so you can have a look at it there and they reckon it was just a, an elaborate creepypasta um but it has wormed its way into so like there was a glasgow newspaper who did a piece on you know the top 10 creepiest hauntings in glasgow or whatever and the garden man made it into it see now if you're a newspaper, you could. there are things that you could do, i.e. check your own archives to see if there was evidence for this. Right. So this one website said they went back and they spoke to Glaswegian people. And Glaswegian people like, you know, historians and ghost tour people were like, never heard of it. So it has the potential to be some sort of creepypasta that has had life breathed into it because it's such a brilliant story it's a great story <laughs> like it's it's terrifying but you don't quite know why it's so terrifying but i do have two more theories i'm interested to hear these because i've got i've got a feeling you're doing the usual trick and you're just gonna get me excited about something and then say to me actually this is fake and someone made it up but i've got my own theory so i want to see whoever it paralyzed. i'm gonna be really frank you don't know i don't know if oh, it's good. fake or if okay, it's made cool. up I really don't know. And I think listeners, like, look at the links in the description. Let us know what you think. Do you think it's made up? Where did this story come from? Because I I, I don't know. My my good instinct is that it's made up, but then I read something else that okay. gave me the heebie-jeebies a okay. little bit. Okay. Okay. So, number five. He is an interdimensional time traveller. That would not have been something I would have even come across. There must be some weight. There must be a reason you've put that as a theory, right? But what do you think? No, nothing about that story suggests time travel to me at all. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what was your theory? What's six? We'll get to that. What was your theory? I feel like he's a bit of a mothman. Like they saw him for a period of 1979 where it was like building up to something and then something happened and then he disappeared. And then if he did return, I don't think he has returned, by the way. I think it's more, I think it's just been fed by the British Paranormal site. But I think that original thing is I feel like he's a mothman kind of individual interesting omen because number six (laughs) is that he is indrid cold we watched the mothman prophecies yes who was the man on the phone oh right okay was indrid cold okay so there is i can't believe you've come to that conclusion i am so impressed there is a a link between the gurning man and mothman i'll explain my theory once you've gone through what you're going to say explain your theory first so Historically, and it's whether you whether you believe it or not, these things, and I'm not just talking about Mothman, I'm not just talking about this geezer, I'm talking about historically as in 
over a period of time, so like hundreds of years, if you go back look look through history, so you look through biblical stuff, you look through Halley's Comet, for example, all these shared things, normally loads and loads of sightings in a short period of time, boom, gone. Something happens. And so it's it's got the characteristics of an omen to me, for me because it's like, I don't know what happened in Glasgow in 1979, but it's that I'm thinking that actually... I'm guessing you're going to come up with and give me some credence for this in a minute, but I was going to actually say to you at the end of the episode, we need to look and see what happened in Glasgow in 1979. But it just feels like that close proximity. All these people see him and then nothing. Boom. Theory number six, he is injured cold. Mm -hmm. For the second time in the history of real life ghost stories, this is a two part episode. No. <laughs> and you will have to tune in next week. Oh, don't do this to me. To find out the real origins of the Gurning Man. Sorry, have I really annoyed you now? Are you stressed that I've done that to no, you? No, I'm not stressed at all. I just wanted to see what it was because I'm quite impressed with myself that we've aligned with the same thing and I hadn't even looked at the story. Yeah, well, I am also <laughs> impressed. I'm really impressed. So if you enjoyed this week's episode you can find everything you need to know about us on our website which is reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com where you can find all of our social media you can find the website or the the website you can find the email address to send your stories to you can also find the link to our patreon where for five dollars or two dollars a month you get access to absolutely bucket loads of extra content and the beauty of patreon is that you can delete your subscription at any time without anything tying you in i also would like to thank anybody who voted for us in the listeners choice podcast awards in america yeah thank you for that because we didn't even know they were going on really random we've been nominated for the best entertainment category apparently there is you can't vote for it because apparently the voting has closed. I didn't even know the voting was happening, so I never advertised so it. So thank to anybody. you for all those people that voted without us even knowing. That's very. If you voted for us, can you? In so this is the People's Choice American Podcast Awards, not the British Podcast Awards, which we posted. I think somebody posted that on our Facebook page, but this one, uh, yep, no idea. And it was most. It was absolutely a listener's choice. Like people voted, and uh, I never asked any told anybody about it well, so it's because we didn't know it existed either well i didn't know it existed <laughs> oh, because yeah. i had to so back in january or february when i was submitting us into the british podcast awards i was like oh, i wonder if there's an american equivalent and there was the people's choice podcast awards so i submitted our podcast and then promptly for completely forgot about it <laughs> until i received an email last week that said congratulations you've been nominated so if you voted for us can you please um, drop me an email and let me know? Because I, I don't quite understand how this happened. Imagine if it was like uh, two people voted for us, but the field was so so wide that we just scraped over the line anyway. We appreciate you two people that did it. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much for voting for us, if you did. And tune in next week to find out about the Gurning Man and Indrid Cold. And on that note, we shall... See you tomorrow. Bye.